good morning and welcome to worship at Church of the Palms Presbyterian Church. We welcome you and thank you for joining us this hour uh, on this uh, third Sunday of Advent. I'm Pastor Phil Bliss. We begin our service this morning with our uh, opening prayer by Penny Matthews and the uh, Jones family will be lighting the third Advent candle. The children's moment is being led by Lori Haas, the director of our family ministry. We'll welcome new friends into our membership this morning, and that's always a great occasion to see new faces and new people here. This Wednesday at 6.12 p.m., Dr. McConnell will conclude a series, a three-part series during Advent uh, on some of the core Christmas themes that are found in Victor Hugo's great novel, Les Miserables. This Friday, the uh, 21st of the month, uh, the, our uh, longest night service will be held in our chapel. It's a time of quiet meditation as we reflect on the uh, healing grace of God. And finally, uh, December the 24th, Christmas Eve on Monday night, and we'll be having services all evening here. They begin with the first service at five o'clock in our sanctuary, and then at 5.30, a service of silent night in the garden. And then later, the uh, candlelight services at 7, 9, and 11 p.m. So we have many opportunities for worship during this Christmas season. But we thank you for joining us this for this morning's service, and may God bless you. to Church of the Palms. My name is Penny Matthews and I serve as a deacon and a tutor in our congregation. We begin our service with the opening prayer printed on the cover of our bulletin. Now let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. God of our baptism, renew in us today the gifts of your Holy Spirit and fire. We have come together eager for good news. We are here for instructions ready to do the work you call us to do in the world. Equip us in this time of worship to draw deeply from the waters of salvation. Fill us in your love that we may pass it on. Recall us to truth and excellence and justice in all we say and do. Amen. Now, as our service continues, with reverence, let us prepare our hearts and minds as we listen to the prelude.
Today, the third Sunday of Advent, the ritual of candle lighting continues. The circle of greens that holds all the candles represents God's eternity. The first purple candle symbolizes faith. The second purple candle represents hope. The rose candle will be lighted today that represents joy. The shepherds joy as they saw the star in the east. Listen to the scripture reading from Isaiah chapter 52, verses 7 through 10, that reveals the good news of, lo of the love of God revealed to the world. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announced peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your sentinels lift up their voices. Together they sing for joy, for in plain sight they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth in, into singing, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord ha has bared his hold on before the eyes of all nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. We light this candle today in preparation for the coming of Christ.
worship this morning. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Friends, trusting in God's love and mercy, let us pray our confession together. God of eternity, when the voice of the prophet was silent and the faith of your people low, when darkness had obscured light and indifference displaced zeal, you saw that the time was right and prepared to send your son. Forgive us for not heeding the signs. Redeem us from hardness hearts and callous spirits. Set us free from fear and faithfulness that we may be ready to welcome him who comes as Savior and Lord. Amen. The steadfast of the Lord and his love never cease and his mercy never come to an end. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. We now affirm our faith together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and seated on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us greet one another in Christ's name.
Good morning. Welcome to worship here at Church of the Palms. We are glad that you have joined us on this, the third Sunday of Advent as we make our way closer and closer to Bethlehem and as we prepare ourselves to receive the Christ child into our lives. We hope that uh, if you're visiting with us today that you'll find this to be a place of welcome and we would love to have you uh, give us your name by filling out the friendship pad. That way we can know who you are and perhaps that name will uh, tip off somebody else to welcome you and to invite you perhaps to a cup of coffee underneath uh, the tree. We uh, have lots of great things that are going on as we prepare for our Christmas celebration. On the back of your bulletin, you'll see the Christmas Eve services. We'll be worshiping five times on Christmas Eve, and um, we invite you to come and join us for a variety of worship experiences, including over in the garden for a contemporary service, here for a family worship service at five o'clock, and then our traditional candlelight services at 7, 9, and 11. We also, uh, uh, a couple weeks after that, on January the 6th, uh, Epiphany Sunday, we'll be welcoming the Westminster College Choir, and we still need some folks to help us out by hosting some of those college students. If you have a couple of extra beds or a couple of extra bedrooms, we would love to have you uh, host a couple of college kids. Always fun to have a couple of college kids in your in your house, and uh, they would love, I'm sure, to receive your hospitality. And if uh, you would be interested in that, John Ferreira will take your name. Also, uh, this coming Friday night, we will be having our longest night service, and this is a service uh, that is designed around an opportunity for those who find perhaps the season of Advent and Christmas to be a difficult one. Perhaps you've just lost a loved one, or this is a tough time for you to be celebrating, and uh, we would love to gather you up on the longest night of the year, the 21st of December, to, to worship and to remember that the light still shines in the darkness. So we would love to have you join us for that this coming Friday at 6 p.m. We are continuing our stewardship season as we finish out the year, and uh, we have made some progress for which we are grateful. And for those of you who have not yet had a chance to participate, we would love to hear from you. Stewardship cards are available, I think, in the pews as well as in the back. So we would encourage you to uh, help us as we get toward that end of the year and as the session tomorrow night uh, makes its plans for 2013. So keep them in your prayers as we make those uh, decisions. Uh, pastorally, a couple things to keep in mind. Robert Dickinson, a member of our church, passed away about a week or so ago, and services were held up north uh, this past week, so keep uh, the Dickinson family in your prayers. Jean Fisher turns 90 this week, so a shout-out to Jean sometime this week would be grateful. He would be grateful for. And uh, we welcome Alejandra Tejada, who is here tonight, today from Honduras, and uh, she is uh, the daughter of Melvin Tejada, who is the director of our uh, eye clinic down in El Progreso. And she is up here uh, learning, uh, up here going to school and uh, was able to stop by for a few days here in Sarasota. So welcome, welcome. Now we'd like to invite the children to come forward for the children's sermon. Good morning, good morning. God bless Marianne Usher who says, I know you mean good. <laughs> good morning. Oh my gosh, it is so great to see you here. I love 
Christmas and the whole Advent season. Come on down. Because we get to talk about the birth of Christ all month long. And there isn't anything that gives me much more joy than getting ready for Christmas in that way. So today we're going to talk about the very first people who heard that Jesus was born. Does anybody know who the very first people were? Yeah. Mary and Joseph absolutely were right there. <laughs> so, okay, the third people, <laughs> the first people who weren't Mary and Joseph, who was it that, that heard that Jesus was born? Christian, do you know who it is? I'm giving you a clue, by the way. This is a clue of who heard the news first. They were out in the fields, and the angel appeared to them and said, Fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So you know who those crazy guys were out in the fields? <laughs> that could be, do you know who they were? Who were they? They were shepherds. They were shepherds. And I didn't know a lot about shepherds. Do any of you guys have moms or dads who are shepherds? No, not a lot of shepherds in Sarasota, so I had to do some research, and I started looking in my closet to see, what does a shepherd wear? What does a shepherd do? First important question, what does a shepherd take care of? Do you know? Yes, sheep, excellent. So, if a shepherd's going to take care of his sheep, first the shepherd's got to take care of himself. And what do you notice about me today? Few things? Weird hair. We've got, that's like every day. So a shepherd had to wear like a head covering because in the winter cold, it'd be really cold. And in the, in the summer, they'd have kind of a wrap around their head just to keep the sun off. Well, I didn't have anything like that, but I had a nice hat. And what else? Let's see. A shepherd would have on a mantle, kind of like a vest. Pastor Steve wears these a lot of times. But on the inside of it would be like sheep's wool. So when it's really cold, they'd wear that on the inside. And then when it was warmer, they'd flip it to the outside just to keep them warm. And they would not wear cute boots, probably sandals. But I didn't put sandals on, left the boots on. Then you got to think, what is a shepherd going to eat and drink because he's out in the fields? Is there a McDonald's nearby? No, probably not a McDonald's. So he'd pack a lunchbox. And in his lunch, though, probably not from Trader Joe's, but it would be like a leather thing, and in it would be dried fruit and olives and bread. And I bet you guys take this to school with you. Not apple juice. Water, water the most healthy snack of all. Mmm. Water. But if there wasn't water, if there wasn't a stream to put his water in, he'd carry a bucket with a long rope on it, and the bucket would collapse so he could get into a well so he could water his sheep and so he could get water to drink as well. All right, what do you guys do for entertainment at night? Just one thing that you might do to entertain yourself. Matthew. Well, sometimes on Sundays, I sometimes watch Sunday night football. Sunday night football, anybody? Yeah, yes, excellent. Teddy, what else do you guys do at night? Sleep. Sleep at night, but before you've fallen asleep, yeah, what do you do? Read, excellent. Yeah, Tallulah. Kiss my sister. Kiss your sister. Wow, that is awesome. Well, there wasn't TV. Christian, you have something? 
play your computer games. That's what we would do. But these shepherds are out there, besides not having electricity, they didn't have any of those things. Anybody play these in school? It's about all I got. But they would bring a musical instrument along. Finally, the three most important things that every good shepherd has. First, a sling. But in the sling, there would be rocks, not cushy balls. And you know what they would use this for? Like if one of their little sheep kind of scattered away, they could just toss a rock in that direction and the sheep would go, whoa, and then go back to the flock. Or if there was a wild animal coming up, they could kind of throw it at the wild animal to try to scare it away. Last two things, you gotta use your imagination. The rod and the staff. Now the staff probably had like a hook on it so that if a sheep fell down into a, into a crevice, he could scoop him out and save him and he could kind of like guide him along. But the rod, it was about three feet long and it had kind of a round thing at the end. It was like a tree, this is like a wood tree. Sometimes there's a little sharp thing on the end to kind of keep like the animals away or something. But more than that, every night when the shepherd would gather his sheep, he would count them to make sure he had every single sheep in his care. And that's what Jesus does for you and me when we call him the good shepherd. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for comforting us, for your rod, for your staff, and for the good news of Jesus Christ being born for each one of us. And help us be like those shepherds and go tell everybody about it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'd like to invite uh, our newest members to come forward so that we may introduce you and receive you into membership. Come on up and stand here. These fine folks uh, have been um, in attendance of uh, one of our uh, new members classes over the last uh, two or three months, and they are now ready to become members of uh, Church of the Palms. The session received them uh, just this past uh, week, and they are delighted to be here in front of you to uh, be welcomed into our midst. So uh, on pages 14 and 15 of your, of your bulletin, there is a uh, list of pictures uh, and uh, short little uh, sentences about them. And as I call your name, if you wouldn't mind just raising your hand, and that way we can uh, put name and face together as we welcome you into our midst. Uh, Will, Bill, Bill Lewis and Susan Grundy are being received over in uh, the uh, campus center at the uh, garden. George and Jeannie Hindle, there they are. Burl and Elaine James, and Holly Miller, and June Carol Hines, and Jim and Louise Pippinger, 
Keith and Peggy Macy are also being received over in the garden, and Tony and Sandra Tallis are there. And uh, we are delighted that we can put name and face together, and I invite you to come and turn toward me as I ask you these questions as you become members of Church of the Palms. Trusting in the gracious mercy of God, do you turn from the ways of sin, and do you renounce evil and its power in the world? If so, please say, I do. Do you turn to Jesus Christ, accept him as your Lord and Savior, trusting in his grace and love? If so, please say, I do. And will you be Christ's faithful disciple, obeying his word and showing his love? If so, please say, I will with God's help. By your answering those questions, you have publicly reaffirmed your faith in Jesus Christ and you are um, Excited, I know, to be a part of our life here at Church of the Palms. We bless you as you join us in this common mission we have of equipping disciples for the service of Christ, hoping that you will know that you are amidst friends and that uh, you can lean upon us as we will lean upon you as we seek to be the people of God in the world. So as we welcome you, let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have to rejoice in the good news of your son, Jesus Christ, especially in this Advent season, and especially thankful that we can welcome brothers and sisters alongside of our journey, such that as we go together, we may know that you also walk with us, and that as we draw closer and closer to Bethlehem, we may know of your grace and mercy, which binds us all together through the power of your Holy Spirit. So bless these good folks as together we carry out your mission in Christ's name. Amen. Welcome to Church of the Palms. Would you welcome them with your applause? in lowly 
birth didst thou come to earth and in the great humility coming to victory let thy voice call me home saying yet there is room there is room at my side for thee time for us to come to prayer together. So let's uh, bow our hearts and our heads and let's look unto the Lord for our prayer time this morning. Lord of hope, we rejoice in the promised Savior who has come into our world. We celebrate the great things you have done for us. You've shown mercy to those who honor you. You have kept your promises to us. You have come to our help. You have shown your love in so many ways. Our hearts indeed praise you, O Lord, this morning. But here we are, rushing headlong into the day that will soon come, Christmas Day. We look at the calendars and wonder how we'll get everything done in the time allotted to us before the big day arrives. We begin to worry about projects to be finished, contacts that yet must be made, preparations for festivities that have only just begun. And before we know it, the darkness of obsessive holiday planning has overtaken us and clouds our minds and our spirits. But we know in our heart of hearts that no tinsel, ribbons, tape, cards, 
gifts, dinners, will convey the eternal message adequately. Help us to remember that in your sight, there are two kinds of time. There is chronological time where we count the minutes before the day, but there's meaningful time, those experiences that make those minutes worthwhile. So we pray that uh, you will open us up to the meaningful minutes. Help us to focus on the real meaning, the hope and blessings you have brought to us through the one who has come, Jesus, your son. Help us to reflect on the small and big blessings of our life, family, love, joy, overcoming adversity, peace, joy. Calm us down, Lord. Slow us down. You've given us the light to shine up way in for us, and you've cut through our darkness. Instill the true meaning of that deeply into our hearts. Help us to remember that it is in loving relationship that you gave your son to us and gave the ability to convey this word into the hearts of others. We pray especially that you will minister to those dear ones for whom we're concerned with your healing, reconciling, comforting presence and love. Give strength to all especially who face horrendous situations today. We think especially of the parents and families in Newtown, Connecticut, who have lost their children and the adults who care for them. It is so hard for us to understand the whys of these tragedies, but we can pray that those in grief will be comforted by your Holy Spirit, by their friends and loved ones. Let your compassionate light shine on them, enabling them to cope and emerge from this darkness. Bring them to your presence, we pray, where the light of hope and love can again pour out in their life experiences. These prayers and hope we offer in confidence and gratitude for the love and presence of the Heavenly Father who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debt as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen. Now let us bring our tithes and offerings in the spirit of gratitude to him the giver of all gifts.
Dear Lord, we have just sung unto you our thankfulness for what you have done. Let our tithes and offerings be just one token of the gratitude for what you've done for us. Help us to rejoice in your strength as well as your song and enable us to always trust you for not only our gifts, but our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our first scripture lesson this morning comes from the gospel, from the prophet Micah, I should say, chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. Hear the word of God. 
But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to rule in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth, then the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be the one of peace. In addition to that text, two other passages, first from the prophet Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shine. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor you have broken as on, as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders and his name is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. And he will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and evermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And then finally, from the Gospel of Matthew, the second chapter, verses 16 and 17. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. And he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under according to the time they had learned from the wise men. And then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and a loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they were no more. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Only by your grace and through your mercy can we understand what life is all about. And we ask that by that same grace and mercy that you would allow these words to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh, the light that shines in the darkness, even Jesus Christ our Lord. For we pray this in his name. Amen. I had a sermon written Thursday night when I went to bed. Its title is in your bulletin. But not long after Friday morning was over, I knew that another sermon needed to be written for today. So you'll get the Thursday sermon next week. 
the jarring and incomprehensible news from Newtown, Connecticut that comes to us in the midst of this Advent season is too severely juxtaposed to our efforts toward holiday cheer, our Noels for us to ignore. We are well to pause before such an event and wonder what our people of faith, people of the good news, to think and to do in response to such tragedy, such senseless violence, 20 first graders dead, teachers and principals dead, throwing themselves, some of them, into harm's way while a deranged young man opens fire with his mother's guns. It is too much to comprehend, and it would be foolish of any preacher either to try to make sense of it or to lather some pithy words upon the wound. I understand what Abraham Lincoln was trying to say when he wrote to Lydia Bixby, a Union mother who had lost five sons in the war, and said, I feel how weak and fruitless must be any words of mine which should attempt to beguile you from the grief of a loss so overwhelming. Lincoln wrote those words not five months before his own death at the hand of a gunman. Perhaps it was Lincoln who more than most knew that the course of world events or personal events is mysterious and fateful at best and the scourge of war and violence was something that human beings have and will always endure and that the providence of God was to be seen not as much in the pain and the suffering, but in the attempts we make to address the pain and the suffering. As Lincoln wrote at the end of his second inaugural address, which Steven Spielberg uses to conclude his masterful movie on Lincoln, says Lincoln, with malice toward none, with charity for all, with firmness in the right, as God gives us to see the right, let us strive on to finish the work we are in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who have sh should have borne the battle and for his widow and his orphan, and to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. The providence of God is to be found in our attempts to address the pain and the suffering. So perhaps it is a bit of fate or providence that you and I this Advent season have immersed ourselves in the Gospel of Matthew, first in the daily reading of the Gospel, chapter by chapter and day by day through Advent, but also in this sermon series we began last week on the journey of the wise men. And as I said, I had another sermon ready to offer today, but what took place in that little town in Newtown, Connecticut, not two weeks before our celebration of Jesus' birth, cries out for us to consider the events that Matthew tells us took place in that little town of Bethlehem after the wise men packed up and left and after Mary and Joseph and Jesus made their way into Egypt. Because what remained for Bethlehem was Herod. Herod the maniacal king, Herod the great, watch out for any man who calls himself the great, there is some personality disorder there. Herod was insanely paranoid. He killed members of his own family just to make sure he was covering his back. Nevertheless, Herod had been deemed by Rome king of the Jews. So you can imagine how he would have received the inquiry of the wise men, where is the one who is to be born king of the Jews? 
And then the word that the new king was to be born in Bethlehem. Now archaeologists have discovered that Herod's fortress outside Jerusalem called the Herodian, this massive palace where he was buried perhaps months after Jesus' birth, gave him a direct view of Bethlehem. He could see the town where the new king was to be born. So the deranged king, the paranoid king, the insecure king orders a massacre with hints of Pharaoh's order to slaughter the newborns of all the Hebrews, with hints of the torturous wails of Rachel when the children of Israel are dragged into exile, Herod orders all the children less than two to be murdered. In such a little town, it couldn't have been more than 10, maybe 20. But of course, one is too many, too many. Now, when Matthew tells us this incomprehensible story, he doesn't try to explain all this to us. He doesn't try to help us understand how it all fits together, how, how something so good like the birth of the Messiah could fit with something so bad, the death of children. doesn't try to connect all those dots. And instead, what he tries to tell us matter-of-factly is that this is what the world looks like. Emmanuel, God with us, was born into this world, a world where men like Herod are king, a world where people walked in darkness and dwelt in the land of deep darkness, a world of paranoid and deranged people with access to force that can take away children in a moment. This is the world that Jesus was born into. Jesus was not born in Disney World. Those who have been attending my Les Miserables class on Wednesday heard me this week talk about a word coined by the author of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien, in an essay on fairy stories, makes the point that the great, the great myths and stories of history, if they are to make any sense to us as human beings, deal with some sort of catastrophe, an, an awful event, a terrible crisis, a tragic fall, for that is a part of the human condition. But in the great stories, he writes, the, the great stories, catastrophe is followed, and this is the word that Tolkien coins, the, the catastrophe is followed by you catastrophe, you meaning good, catastrophe meaning disaster, that every real story has a, a good that follows disaster. And, and Tolkien goes on to say that the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, is the you catastrophe of human history. That while we humans manage to make a disaster of our history, God brings goodness in the person of his son, God brings redemption. Or as Frederick Buechner once said, before the gospel can be good news, it must first be bad news. And the bad news is we live in a world of Herods. We live in a world of Adam Lanzas. We live in a world where children die not just by gunshots, but by malnutrition and disease and accidents and abuse and trafficking and overdose. Our pilgrimage to Israel last month took us to Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, and we quietly walked through the Children's Memorial, a dark room where just one candle shines, reflected by hundreds of mirrors, casting infinite points of light, reminding us of the children of Abraham, the 1.5 million children of Abraham who were taken away.
And what Matthew tells us and what the newspapers tell us is that Jesus didn't come to magically take that away. Bad things still happen to good people and bad people and innocent children, whether by greed or pride or anger or accident or nature or illness, you name it, it still happens. Catastrophe happens. So does and so can the eucatastrophe. So can come the goodness and redemption, for this is what the baby of Bethlehem brings. Not a magic wand, but a marvelous way, a way of living as light in the darkness. This is what we see in Jesus. We see the way of living as light in the darkness, in his walking the trails of Palestine, in his forgiveness of the guilty, in his healing of the sick, in his confronting the powers, even in his ascending the cross, in his walking from the tomb. This is goodness, Jesus says. This is the way, the truth, and the life. This is the light that will never be overcome. This is the power that will prevail. Though the headlines may say another thing, Messiah calls us to live as light in the darkness. Or as Albert Camus wrote, on this earth there are pestilences and victims, and it's up to us so far as possible not to join forces with the pestilences. So in Les Miserables is Jean Valjean who has bitterly served 19 years on the chain gang for stealing a loaf of bread, who appears to have lost every bit of light from his soul, receives hospitality from a humble bishop and after he gets his fill from dinner but because the darkness is too much Jean Valjean rises in the middle of the night and desperately steals the bishop's silver. And when he's caught and brought before the bishop the catastrophe of his life, this hardened man who has just bitten the hand that has fed him, in response, the bishop, justified in if he indicts him, offers him the silver candlesticks and says, you forgot these? That's the light that shines in the darkness. That's the eucatastrophe. Events like this past week might tempt us to grow discouraged in our grief for those children and teachers and their families. We can easily embrace despair and cynicism. We can grow more cautious. We can grow more anxious. But the child of Bethlehem would lead us another way to do something, to shine light across the darkness, to forgive the guilty, to heal the sick, to confront the powers, to ascend the cross, to advocate for children somewhere maybe here in Sarasota, to do something about guns, to visit a prison, to feed the hungry, to, to reconcile with a member of your own family, to shine light across the darkness. Because the darkness will convince you otherwise. But to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This week of tragedy was also the week when many remembered this past week, back to 150 years ago, 
the 150th anniversary of the worst of all the Civil War battles, the Battle of Fredericksburg, December 14, 1862. Many remembered how there were more casualties in this battle than in any Civil War battle. Many remembered last week the failed Union plan. Many remembered last week what Robert E. Lee said in response to the battle, it is well that war is so terrible or we should grow too fond of it. But many, perhaps most, remember the morning after the worst of the battle, December 14th. Casualties were great, especially on the side of the Union. When the morning of December 14th broke, it was discovered that 8,000 dead and wounded Union soldiers lay littered across the fields, across the rise of land called Mary's Heights. With guns and cannons at a standstill, the Union and Confederate lines could hear the moans and cries of the wounded left and periled on the fields. No one could do anything, though, out of fear of being shot by snipers or cannon fire. Finally, one Confederate sergeant, 19 years, 19 years old, could stand it no longer. He went to his general, asked permission to minister to the enemy. The general reluctantly gave his approval, but said he could not go under the protection of the white flag. He was on his own. I'll take my chances, said the boy. He gathered the canteens of his comrades and jumped over the protecting wall and began ministering to the moaning wounded Yankees. No shots were fired from the Union side because they could see what their enemy was doing. He was tending to theirs. No shots were fired. Instead came cheers as Sergeant Kirkland for the next hour ministered to every hurting soldier he could find. They called him that day the Angel of Mary's Heights because, of course, that's what angels do. They do not cower from the darkness. They reflect the light of God in a world struggling to see goodness. They sing for peace on earth, goodwill toward all, even within earshot of mad King Herod. It's likely what Edmund Hamilton Sears had in mind, the 18th century Unitarian preacher who fell victim to the darkness himself. Depression, exhaustion, and illness forced him to step down from his New England pulpit and he returned to his previous church to ask his friends there for help. And help is what they gave him. They helped him to rest and to be restored. And after he recovered and commenced his ministry again, he sat down and wrote a hymn, a Christmas carol. It came upon the midnight clear with words like these. And ye, beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. Look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. O rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. For lo, the days are hastening on by prophet bards foretold with when with the ever-circling years comes round the age of gold, when peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling, 
and the whole world give back the song which now the angels sing. Glory to God in the highest and on earth and through his children, peace. Someday, someday, peace.
Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. watching our 9 o'clock worship service as it's televised live on channel 189 of Comcast Cable. It's also seen on the internet via live streaming. During this Advent season, our Cantori Choir makes appearances to entertain with music of this beautiful season. They appeared at the Lake House West Retirement Center on December 11th and at McIntosh Manor December 14th. Tuesday of this week, they'll sing at Bay Village at 7.30 p.m. They'll perform December 21st at 6 p.m. at Sarasota Hospice House and at DeSoto Palms Assisted Living Community at 7 p.m. Our Christmas Eve services are always well attended, so to help you make plans to join us in our sanctuary, here's our Christmas Eve schedule and description of the contents of each service. At 5 p.m. in the sanctuary, this service, designed especially for families, includes Christmas carols, drama, scripture, and brief meditation. God's Kids and Kids of the Kingdom will sing during this service, Nursery care is available, but children of all ages are encouraged to attend. At 5.30 p.m., a silent night service in the garden. This will be a reflective evening of music, story, communion, and a Christmas message to inspire and uplift us. Gather with us as we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Child care is available for the 5.30 p.m. silent night service in the Garden of the Campus Center. At 7 and 9 p.m. in the sanctuary, these two services of lessons, Christmas meditation, and carols will feature the Jubilee Handbell Choir, the Chancel Choir, Praise and Glory Singers, and the Cantori Choir. Child care is available. The 11 p.m. service in the sanctuary is a service of lessons, meditation, and carols. Music will be provided by members of our Sounds of Glory Orchestra, instrumental soloists, organ, and Mr. Yuri 
Vasilaki playing O Holy Night on the viola. There is no child care for this service. We thank you for joining us again this Sunday for our televised service from our sanctuary. Church of the Palms is a Presbyterian Church USA and is located at 3224 B Ridge Road in Sarasota, Florida. The administration building phone number is 941-924-1323. And now this is Jimmy Lance inviting you to join us again next week at 9. And in the days between, may the peace of Christ help focus you on the meaning of this season. Enjoy this day, this gift, God's good morning. Eternal Father.